Well, good morning. Thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. It's a different kind of Sunday in a good way. Um, we, a few weeks ago, Rick and I started talking about um, planning a service in which we would not have kids worship upstairs and we would intentionally keep the kids in here for the whole service. But we also wanted to take the opportunity, since we have the kids in here for a whole service, to do things a little bit different and change it up. And so as we go through the order of service this morning, it's going to be different. Um, elementary school kids, you should have received a, a clipboard on your way in that gave you some activities to do today that walked you through what we're doing in our worship service this morning. Uh, parents, we really encourage you to engage with your kids in the different elements of the service. And really, for everybody, it's going to be a, a different kind of worship service with the same intent, the same focus on preaching the gospel, worshiping Christ our Savior and God, the holy creator of the ends of the earth, and uh, we'll just go through it in a little bit of a different format in some ways. We're going to try to do this a few times a year, maybe once a quarter, something like that, um, but uh, thank you for your patience and um, just uh, walking with us through some changes. Sometimes it's good and it's healthy to mix some things up, mix up the order, and you'll see what I mean by that as we go. Um, tonight, just as far as announcements that you need to know, tonight we'll have a regular ministry evening at 5.30. We'll have small groups and kids ministry and youth ministry all meeting here on campus 5.30 to 7.30. Next week is going to be different. We will have our fall festival next Sunday. And that will be here in the parking lot out front. And it's going to be 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, next Sunday. So that means youth and kids are not going to have their normal 5.30 to 7.30 meetings. We're going to have this fall festival. Anyone is invited to it. We'd love to have you all join us and make plans. Um, if you want to volunteer and serve in that event, you can talk to Rico or AJ about that. Um, but we'd really just love for you to come and bring your whole family. Uh, then in a couple weeks, we are coming up, and we've told you this a few times as we've promoted this 50 days of prayer. If you do not have one of those 50 days of prayer prayer guides, I would encourage you to grab one from the lobby on your way out today. We have more still available. And in that prayer guide, you'll see just a, a simple one sentence, one scripture prayer point for that day to pray for our church, our community, and the impact that we might have as the people of God within our community, but also around the world through the influence that God gives us. All of that is leading up to our 50th anniversary, and we will have a special celebration of our 50th anniversary um, in November. We're just about two weeks away from that, uh, two Sundays from now. And I want to tell you what, what, what we're doing there um, the, on the, I guess it's the 13th, am I right? I think it's the 13th. November the 13th, that's a Sunday, um, we will be celebrating our 50th anniversary. This church was founded November 12th, actually 1972. And so we'll celebrate the 50th anniversary. I want to tell you, this is um, a, a moment for us to celebrate the past and anticipate the future. Uh, some of you may be, may be familiar with this homecoming celebration that lots of churches do. We haven't necessarily, we haven't done that. We haven't organized it that way where we've invited a bunch of people that have always been members of the church from the history of the church. We haven't actually invited uh, former members or ministers or anything like that. We're going to have some testimonies that celebrate 50 years of gospel ministry and 50 years of God's work and blessing. Um, so you're welcome to invite anyone, but just to clarify our approach, we're honoring the past and celebrating the future. And so as we celebrate that, you'll hear a little bit from some people that have been here a long time, been heavily invested in the ministry over a generation and, and more, and uh, we'll celebrate together what God has done. We'll ask God to continue blessing us for the next generation. So now I'm going to open the scriptures to us, um, but before I do, I'm going to let the kids, since they're here today, uh, I asked Rika for some help with this, and we're going to hear the scriptures read aloud first from some kids within our own church. The saying is trustworthy, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus 
came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am foremost. Godliness is of value in every way. And the Lord promised for the present life. And also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. First Timothy 4, 8-9. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Second Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things tonight. First, who you believe in God? Maybe pray about the book of God. Oh, good work. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we're going to kind of take a break from going through 1 Timothy in order to hit on a couple of themes that come out throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. What the video showed you is that four times in those three books, which are all written by Paul to young ministers... Timothy, obviously, 1 and 2 Timothy were both written from Paul to Timothy, and Titus was written from Paul to a young man named Titus. Timothy was leading a church in Ephesus. Titus was leading a church on the island of Crete. And in each of these books, Paul has these key moments in these letters in which he says, listen up, young man. This is a trustworthy saying. You need to remember what I'm saying. He doesn't say the listen up, young man part. But he repeats the phrase, this is a trustworthy saying, or this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of, of acceptance, or this is a trustworthy saying, and therefore you need to insist on these things. And so four times, Paul says these significant statements that he, that he introduces with this, with this special phrase, this is trustworthy. This is, it's like Paul is highlighting or putting in bold text something in his own letter to say, this is a key point. And so, since we have kids in our service today, and because we all need these reminders, this Sunday we're going to focus on those four themes that Paul brought out in these three books that he calls the trustworthy sayings. Because if Paul is going to use that sort of language to describe it, it means this is especially important. And and people of all generations in the room today, what we're preparing for today and what we're doing differently than we've done in a long time today is we're going to receive the Lord's Supper here at these, at these two tables. And so everything that we're doing this morning is gearing us towards the celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his broken body and his shed blood for us. So we're, we're keeping our eyes on the cross the whole time. But before I talk about these individual sections, I want to talk about trust. The first question I have today, do you know who you can trust? We live in a society in which trust is harder to come by than ever before. We live in a society that distrusts everything and everybody. And traditional structures of authority and influence that in one generation meant something and held some level of significance, we do not know as a society, can we trust those in authority or not? Uh, so this is true of governmental leaders. It's true of societal leaders, whether it's a federal government or local government leaders. It's true of major influencers. If you want to talk about celebrities and who have this incredible influence over culture and society, but we don't know who they are really and whether we can trust them talks about we can, we can apply this to organizational leaders of your own business. Can you trust those in authority over the corporation that you work for, over the small business that you work for? Can you trust leaders within a school system or within a university? And oh, by the way, it applies to the church too. Because here we live in an age in which people don't know who to trust. So the question gets brought into the church, 
Can we trust our leaders or can we not trust our leaders? Do they have our best interests in mind? Are they really trying to focus on the way of Jesus and living out the gospel? Or do they just really like positions of influence and power? These are the questions that we have to ask. And so, young people, kids, I want you to listen to me. One of the things I want you to walk away from this service with today is I want you to see that what we do in this big room is not all that different than what you do in the rooms upstairs. What you do in those rooms upstairs is from Miss Rika and your leaders, you hear a Bible story and a Bible lesson and it says this is what the Bible says you should believe and this is what the Bible says you should do in response to what you hear from the Bible. It's the same thing we do in here because ultimately our trust, listen to me, and you're going to listen carefully or you're going to take this the wrong way, ultimately do not trust Miss Rika. And in the same way, I'm going to tell the adults in this room, do not trust me just because I'm the one on stage. Do not trust just because Miss Rika is the one that's put up there that we just really like Miss Rika and we're going to let her teach everything. It's not that the adults really like me and really trust me as a person. Miss Rika and myself and Mr. Jason and Mr. AJ and anyone else who teaches in this church, we are only trustworthy when we rely on what this book says. This is where our trust is. But within a local church, it works when you can read this book, understand this book, and learn from this book that God wants good leaders to serve the church. And those leaders are chosen by the people, sure, but ultimately chosen by God to be the leaders that we can trust. And so people of every generation this morning, kids and adults, I want you to hear me say clearly that first and foremost, when we come into worship together, our trust is in Jesus and in the way the word of God reveals who God is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So whether a child or adult in the room today, your first question, do you know who you can trust for the ultimate truth? When you don't know who to, truth, who to trust in society outside, do you know where you can go? Because the central place is the scriptures and the church of Jesus that presents the scriptures to you. So next question, we're going to go to this first trustworthy saying. And we've got another question that we're going to talk about. 1 Timothy 1.15 is the first trustworthy saying. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. So the first question, do you know who to trust? Obviously, Paul trusted Timothy, and we trust Paul because we know that God wrote the scriptures through Paul. The second question, why did Jesus die? This verse tells us Christ Jesus came into the world for a specific purpose, to save sinners. So here we are this morning, and, and as a part of our worship together, we're going to come to this table and in a few minutes, you're going to come forward as a family to the table. And, and you're going to come, uh, kids and parents, together. And you're going to get the elements, the, the bread and the juice from this table together. If you're on this side of the room, you've got a table over here. You're on this side of the room. Look, we've got another table for you. And as you come forward to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, what we do is we remember why Jesus died. First Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, I just asked you the question, do you know who you can trust? Let me give you a way to know whether or not you can trust somebody. When somebody comes to you and says, I've got everything figured out, I've got everything all together, I'm the one that is most righteous, most holy, and therefore follow me. That's not the example of the Apostle Paul here. The example of the Apostle Paul said there's one person that was holy, and it's Christ Jesus. And so what we do as Christians is we follow the Holy One, Jesus, the Son of God. But as we follow, we have all sorts of human examples that are sinners just like us. And Paul doesn't just say, I'm an average, ordinary, everyday sinner. Paul says, I'm the worst of all the sinners. And so of every generation in this room today. Remember, according to Paul, you're a sinner. But Paul's not being mean 
in attacking you to say that, Paul is saying we are all sinners. And so we ask this question, why did Jesus die? He died because we rejected God. He died because we rejected God, the Father, the creator of the ends of the earth, and we sinned against him. And to sin literally means we missed the mark. We tried to get it right on our own, but every effort that we made to live life in the way we wanted fell short of God's righteous standard. And that means because of God's righteous standard, we then need a way to have our sins paid for. There is punishment that we deserve because of our sins. And we failed to live up to the standard, so we are due punishment. So Jesus came, and Jesus died, so that we might be saved. The second trustworthy thing, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. So let me tell you about what I did here last week. There were, there were four people last week, an adult and three young people that all got into a pool that was right here. And when I pushed them back into the water, one of the things I said is that they were buried with Christ. And then I pulled them out of the water and I said they're raised again to newness of life. What the picture of baptism communicates to us that what it means to be a Christian is to die with Christ. That 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 body and blood that we're about to celebrate was broken and shed for us. And so that in Christ dying, we died with him. And in Christ raising and resurrecting, we then live with him. That's what 2 Timothy 2.11 tells us. If we have died with him, we live with him. If we endure, we reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So let me ask you a question. Everyone in the room, here's, listen, you're about to have an assignment, okay? So be ready. Everybody, every, all, all eyes on me now, because I'm about to give you something to talk about at your row, and I'm going to stop talking for a second. What is the good news? So I want you now, I want you to turn to somebody next to you, whether you're an adult or child, and I want you to answer the question, what is the good news of Jesus? If you're to imagine that you're talking to somebody who does not know Jesus, and listen to me, this is not a kid assignment. This is an everyone assignment. So if you're sitting there, there's not a kid on your row, don't think I'm only talking to kids right now. I want you to explain the gospel briefly to whoever's sitting next to you, adult or child. All right? Ready, set, go. What's the good news of Jesus? Tell it to the person next to you. Okay, now back up here. I know, it was a hard assignment. I, told, I, gave, I only gave you a few seconds. But here's what I, I want to communicate to you by just asking you to have that quick discussion. We need to be ready at all times to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And what we mean by give a reason for the hope that is within us is if somebody asks you, what is the good news of the gospel that you have believed? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to believe in God and to trust Christ for salvation? We need to, at any age, be able to answer the question. And 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 13 gives us a picture of what that good news is. First, there's a piece of bad news. Because here's the thing. Some people don't like talking about the bad news. But there is no good news without corresponding bad news. It's not actually good news if it, doesn't, if it doesn't affect a bad situation. For it to be good news, it means things were bad until you heard the message that was good, that changed the situation. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. If we deny him, he will deny us. What that passage is talking about is that in our actions, every one of us, before we meet Jesus in salvation and our hearts are renewed and we respond to him in faith, before that moment, we have all, 
denied Christ and denied God as our sovereign Lord. And when we are in the state of denying God as sovereign Lord, something has to change because we are in the state of a sinner who is dead. And dead people don't rescue themselves. Dead people can't just try harder and be better. Dead people don't climb out of the grave. Dead people have to be brought to new life. Dead people have to be resurrected and lifted out of the grave. And so, that's what this passage is telling us. If you do not yet believe in Jesus, then you are in the spiritual state of being dead in your sins and dead in your denial of Jesus. But Christ Jesus has come and he has died so that we could die with him and then in his resurrection we could live with him. And that's the good news here. 1 Timothy 2.11, if we die with him, we live with him. And the good news goes on to verse 13. Even then, once we have died with him and lived with him, verse 13, even then if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even when in our state, even after we've received salvation, if we sin after that, if we fail after that, he continues to remain faithful in his love and affection for those who are his. Because, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done in taking our sin on him at the cross and paying the penalty, he has given us new life. And one more sin doesn't take that free gift of salvation away. Because once you enter into the family of God through the sacrifice of Jesus, you remain. Once you have died with him, he remains faithful. The good news is, that we who are sinners, who have denied God and failed to live to his righteous standard, have a way to have our sins paid for at the cross of Jesus. And when our sins are paid for, we receive the newness of life that he offers. And all we have to do is respond in faith to the grace that he has shown us. So here's the last question for this section. Are you a Christian? Because here's what we're doing here. This table right here, is, it, we call it the Lord's Supper or we call it communion. And what the word communion connotes is that we are communing with Jesus, the Son of God. That as we come and we eat this piece of bread and we drink this little cup of juice, that it is in some way uniting us to Jesus, the eternal Son of God. How is that possible? It's possible because his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And so as we receive that, as we literally consume it physically, it is a reminder to us of what has already happened. And so if you are not a Christian, this celebration is actually not intended for you. And the Bible takes great care to warn us against those who are not believers from participating in this supper. So if you have questions or doubts, I would actually encourage you, when we do communion here in a minute, to refrain and get your questions answered and seek Christ for salvation before receiving the Lord's Supper. And parents, I encourage you to, to walk wisely and you help your children make the decision on what is the right approach to come to the table. But if you're ready now to become a Christian, let me tell you how simple it is. You confess your sins. You say, I know that the gospel is true and that the corresponding bad news of the good news is also true. That I am a sinner in need of salvation. That I failed to live to God's righteous standard. And therefore, I need him to pay for my sins and give me new life. And once you confess your sins, you confess Jesus as Lord. I know it's true. I know that Jesus has saved me. And I know that Jesus is the king of all creation. And I'll commit my life to him. You confess your sins. You confess Jesus in, as Lord. And you commit to him in faith. Faith is trusting in what you cannot see. I can't see God. I can't see Jesus. But I know he is real. I know Jesus died for me. And I know God the Father created me and loves me. And I know the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart and life right now. So the response, confess your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and commit in faith. Jesus, I believe you. Forgive my sins. Make me new. And the Holy Spirit comes and makes a person new. 
So now the band's going to come back up. And here's what we're going to do. I told you, everything's out of order today. We're going to do it all differently. We're not done. We've only done two of the four trustworthy sayings that we're going to get to. So we're halfway through the sermon, and now we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the middle of the sermon. Because the goal of this service is for the scriptures to be clear in our hearts and minds so that the gospel is so clear to every one of us. And we respond in love for Christ out of what he has shown us and done for us. And so here's what's going to happen. The band's actually going to start, uh, and Emmanuel's going to, be, going to be playing first. And some of the members of the worship team, they're going to lead their families through these tables first. And then anyone else can follow. And what you're going to do is, as the song plays, and as we worship together, you can stand and, and sing the whole time and, and worship, but when you are ready, come forward. If you're on this half of the room, come to this half of the room and grab enough bread for, and I mean the whole family come forward. Grab bread for your family, grab a cup of juice for, for every believing member of your family, come forward and take them. If you want to come over here to the, to the stage, to the altar, and pray and receive communion together up here, you're welcome to. Otherwise, take the bread and the juice, go back to your seats. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray together as a family, receive the bread first, and then receive the juice. And remember that we are doing this as an assembly, as a greater family, the body of Christ coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so I'm going to pray for us. I want you now to prepare your hearts. We are ready Come forward as a family to receive the elements. Father, we commit this service to you. Jesus, we praise you for your sacrifice. As we celebrate now, that this bread that we eat reminds us of your broken body, and this juice that we drink reminds us of your shed blood. Father, I pray that you would stir in every single heart and mind in this room today the full conviction of sin and the full conviction of your grace and your glory. That we would have a renewed experience of you today as we approach the broken body and shed blood. So Father, now meet us here and give us fresh grace as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Hope is built in nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust the Jesus name. Christ Savior's love through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace.
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, I may then in him we found to hit his righteousness alone and fall stand before the throne in Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. Don't 
trustworthy sayings. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jericho, I need your help. Don't worry, guys. He didn't find out about that about this just now. He's well prepared. His shoes fell off this morning, so he's wearing socks on stage. But Jericho is an illustration, and not of proper shoe wearing, but Jericho is an illustration for me this morning. You ready? All right, Jericho is going to show us the great value of bodily training, all right? So Jericho, drop and give me 50. Okay, two push-ups, all right? Here we go, ready? One-ish, two-ish, okay, okay, we... We'll, we'll work on that. No, 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 you're not done. You're not done. Come back up here. Um, now, Jericho, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to stretch your arms out, okay? I want you to just sit tight for a second. I want you to stretch, loosen up, work your shoulders out. See, what the scripture says is that bodily training is of some value. And Paul's making an illustration here that we learn something about godliness from the illustration of bodily training. And Jericho's going to help us, by just getting a little bit of stretch in, learn what we're supposed to know from this illustration. Now, give me two more push-ups. You go down, you can, yeah, yeah, okay. Now, Jericho, I have a question for you. Which were easier, the first two or the second two? Did it get easier or harder? It got easier. Why do you think that is? I'm going to tell you why that is. You don't have to answer that question. So what happens is you do it. You do a couple of push-ups, and then your heart starts beating faster. Your blood starts flowing into your muscles, and it starts helping. Your heart is helping your muscles deal with the stress you're putting on them. And so that is what, why your second two push-ups are easier. Now, if I was to make you do two Tomorrow, would they be easier or harder? That's right. That's all you need to do. Thank you. Give Jericho a hand. So here's what happens when we introduce stress into our muscles. Our heart starts beating faster. Our blood starts pumping. We start waking up. We get some endorphins going. And you get stronger and stronger. First, you've got to stretch your muscles out. The first push-up that you do in a day is the hardest because your muscles aren't ready for it. But then, as long as you're not exhausting yourself and just completely burning yourself out, they actually get a little bit easier up to a stage. But then if you do more and more each day, the more you do, the stronger you do, the more prepared your body is, and that bodily training is providing a value. The value is strength and endurance. And what Jericho can show us in just this simple illustration of bodily training we learn in our search and our pursuit of godliness. Because here's the reality. With the verse that we just read, first Tim, or 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, what, what that verse told us is we have died with him. We are now new. If we died, we live. He made us new. But the truth is, I hate to tell you, you don't always feel new. You don't always feel like you're a new creation in Christ. First thing when you wake up every morning saying, here I go, ready to represent Christ, the Son of God, to the lost world. There is then value in training for godliness. Because it's not something that just automatically comes upon us. 
Salvation in Christ is something that comes upon us in an instant as the Spirit of God regenerates our hearts. But the growth that we receive in godliness is a growth that requires some effort and some personal discipline. Hebrews says that no discipline uh, is pleasant at the time, but produces a fruit of endurance for those that are trained by it. So discipline isn't comfortable at first. It hurts at first. Those first few push-ups really hurt. But the more you do them, the stronger you are and the more able you are to face that physical challenge. And so, the first day you become a Christian, you're not going to sit down, most likely, wake up, you're not going to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and do a one-hour quiet time full of reading an entire book of the Bible and 30 minutes of prayer. That's probably not day one of your Christian life. It may be. Praise God if it is. But for most of us, those disciplines require some training. So my encouragement to you is to live out this verse of 1 Timothy 4, 8, that we can recognize, sir, bodily training helps our physical body. That's fine. God has nothing against that. But what God is more concerned about is your spiritual state. God wants you to be physically healthy. Great. But, you know, do, be responsible with your own health. But our priority is training for godliness and, and pursuing a life that honors Christ. So here's why we come to church. We come to church to hear what the scriptures say about the gospel. That was part one, right? We understand and respond to the gospel. We need those regular reminders of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. We also come to church to be trained for godliness, to learn more about who God is, about who Christ is, and what it means to follow. What it means to follow the pattern that Christ set and to follow the pattern that the scriptures give. And so, as Christians, we must believe rightly and respond to belief with right action as well. Fancy words, orthodoxy, right belief, orthopraxy, right praxis. That those two coincide, that the, one of the themes of 1 Timothy, and this is where we go next week, is that right doctrine and right behavior are intimately connected within Paul's qualifications for leaders. He wants people that know the right things and people prove that they know the right things by doing the right things, by living lives of fruitfulness, by living lives of godliness. And so we don't come here just for information. We come here to be transformed and to be trained to follow Christ in obedience. Children in the room, don't think that we are asking you to live a certain way or be like us just because we want to control your behavior and we want you to be easier to deal with. That's not the goal. The goal for all of us is to not be like Pastor Tim says as much as it is to be as Christ has set the example for us. And so we follow the scriptures because they point us to Christ. We follow the scriptures pattern of godliness. And so when you approach the scriptures and you read them in, in the morning, what your goal is to do in your quiet time, personal devotional time, is to see God, to see yourself in light of the scriptures and what God has said about you and how you fall short of the standard, but also to see, God, how do I respond to your word? First and foremost, I want to learn about you, God, because the more I know about you, the more I know how to live in response. So that's the question. How can I be godly? The, the answer, to train yourself, to walk in obedience and to see the pattern in Scripture. Titus 3.8, the fourth of the sayings. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So question number six for today, what are good works? Because Paul has told Titus that, one of the, that the last trustworthy saying is to do good works. What does that mean? Good works are those things that we do that honor and obey God, that glorify God because we see his righteousness and holiness and we act accordingly in response to it. Christians, we do not do good works so that God will love us more. We do good works in response to the love he has shown. 
We don't earn good favor with God with our actions. We respond to his action in gratitude. It's, we are not accepted because we obey. We obey because we've already been accepted. This is what the gospel is. We do God work, good, good works because God has already loved us and saved us and made us new and given us a new heart that longs to honor him, that longs to live like him. And so, Christians of all ages are called to live as Christ lived and to be profitable. That's what this verse says, Titus 3, the last half. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You want to be useful in your life, right? You want to make a difference. That's what, that's what the young generation always wants to talk about. How do I make a difference? I'll tell you how to make a difference. Do the works that God directs you to do. Do the things that Scripture presents to you. And the last question, as we bring it all together, I need one more helper. Bryce Brown, come on up. We're going to have kids in the room. I'm going to use them. Put them to work. Bryce Brown. You have an assignment. Now, Bryce and Jericho, they've been buddies for a long time. They've been teammates, soccer, basketball, and their relationship is very clear. That, and it, we established it when Sam and I were coaching six-year-old soccer together. We needed a strong leg and a fast runner. And throughout their whole relationship, Bryce has been the fast one and Jericho has been the strong one. So Jericho had the strength exercise. Bryce is going to prove his speed to us this morning, right? You ready? All right, so here's your assignment, Bryce. Your goal is to, in 15 seconds, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it, okay? In 15 seconds, you are going to go, and you are going to tag as many hands as you can. And you're not going to break anybody's hand. You're not going to run over anybody, because that would get us both in trouble. But you're going to run down this center, center aisle and, and tag as many hands as you possibly can in 15 seconds, right? Okay, let me, let me get my timer. I'm not prepared for this, guys. All right, are you ready? Set, go. Oh, we got, we got a couple, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on, Bryce, come on, Bryce. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're, you're going, you, are you up and down. You can get more, go across the front there. Come on, you got two seconds. Stop. All right, come back, come back, come back, come back. Now, Bryce, I, I told you you were in for an athletic challenge. There's a math challenge in here, too. All right, everybody that Bryce tagged your hand, raise your hand. Count those people for me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, now, but you kind of saw visually what that looked like, right? All right, now we're going to change the rules, okay? Challenge part two. You're going to do the same thing. You people, your assignment now changes. The new rule is every, once Bryce tags you, you tag somebody else. And what somebody that has somewhere in the chain been tagged by somebody that tagged Bryce, you can tag whoever. So now we're all participating now, okay? We've got 15 seconds. Whoever Bryce tags, then tags somebody else. And if you get tagged by somebody else, you can tag somebody else. Again, no breaking somebody's hands, no punching. We're not slapping. We're tagging, okay? Every kid knows how to tag, all right? So adults, I know you forgot how to play tag. But we're going to do this, all right? We got 15 seconds. So, Bryce, you're going to start up here again. Do not run over the flowers. Ready, set, go. All right, all right, go, go. Again, you people, come on, tag, tag, tag. There we go, there we go. We got some movement here. Come down the other aisle. All right, let's go, let's go. Keep going, keep going. Everybody keep going. All right, we still got like four seconds here. All right, two, one, stop. Everybody stop. Now, Bryce, math skills, back on stage. You remember how many raised their hand last time, right? No, you don't? Okay. Now, if you were tagged by Bryce or somebody in the chain, now raise your hand. All right, Bryce, math test. Which, which way resulted in more hands? The first way or the second way? The second way, by a lot. Thank you, Bryce. You have a seat. Y'all can give me a hand. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, really and truly. Look at the amount of people that in 15 seconds one person can touch physically. How many people can one person have an influence on, share the gospel, disciple, minister to, care for 
how many people can one person affect? Well, if the effect stops with the people that they affected, there's a legitimate number. You can do a lot in a lifetime if you just minister to one person at a time throughout a lifetime. But imagine, imagine what could happen, what the difference is, when you're not just ministering to one person, but you're ministering to a person who is then trained to minister to another person. You're presenting the good news of Jesus that we've clarified this morning to somebody who then knows it and can share it with somebody else. You're teaching the way of Jesus, the, the attitude, the life that is godly and honors Jesus well. You teach that to one person who then trains another person. Paul wrote three books that are all very similar, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. In 2nd Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Our call brothers and sisters of every generation, the church of Jesus Christ, is to follow Jesus and to take the things that we have learned from the scriptures and from the church and from those who have mentored us and to invest them in other people, not so it stops with them, but so that they will then invest in others. A healthy church community is a growing church community that reaches the lost, that makes disciples, that raises up the next generation for the kingdom of God to continue to expand. So, I want to leave you with that today. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who calls other people to follow Jesus as well. I asked you seven questions this morning. Who can you trust? We can trust the scriptures and God as he reveals himself. Why did Jesus die? For us, for our sins. What is the good news? That while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us and gave us new life. Are you a Christian? I hope we have some clarity on that today. How can I be godly? What are good works? What is a disciple? We all know, now know our call to good works, obedience, and walking as followers of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that these words would be solidified in the hearts and minds of kids, adults, everybody in this room today that we would know your word, trust you, trust you for salvation, follow you, and share with others the path of salvation and the path of discipleship. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, now, I've got more people coming on stage. We're not done yet, y'all. We've got some new member families that we're going to introduce this morning. So if I talk to you, if you're a new member, y'all come on up now. We've got four or five families. Y'all come ahead and come on. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you to come all the way up here on stage. The lights are a little bit bright, but it's okay. You don't have to be nervous. Come on up. And I just want to introduce these people to you. Um, some of them have been here for a while. Honestly, um, some of them have been members for a few months already. Y'all move a little bit more this way. And, um, uh, but we've got some large families. And when we were back in the youth room, we weren't really introducing um, new members as they were joining as much, but I wanted to start doing that again now that we're back in the big room, and we wanted to do it on a night when the kids weren't upstairs because there's a whole lot of kids in these families. So I'm just going to start here. Y'all put yourselves in order whether you knew it or not, and we're going we're gonna to talk through um, these families. This is um, Aaron Marcelli, and he's got a couple of his kids, Leah and Anna here. Um, actually, Aaron and Katie have four children, uh, Leah, Hattie, Anna, and Jane. And uh, they've gone through the membership process. Um, they've been involved in our kids' ministry for a while. And we are so, so grateful to have Aaron and Katie and the kids here. Um, they're a ton of fun. Um, get to know them. Introduce yourself to them. If you've seen them around, now you know who they are. Aaron, Katie, Leah, and Anna here this morning. Um, but then uh, James and Hattie as well. Next in line, this is Chris Gade. This is his crew um, Caddy and the four boys are here. Um, this is Grayson, Corbin, Declan, and Rowan. And then um, they also have a younger daughter, Daphne, as well. And uh, they've been here for a few months and engaged really, really quickly. Um, they have a great story of God's faithfulness in their life. Um, Grayson's been able to get involved with the youth. The others are involved with the kids' ministry. And uh, Chris and Caddy have already started serving in the church, as have Aaron and Katie. And these are just 
uh, another great family that has shared their testimony and been affirmed by the elders, and we're excited to welcome them to our family. Um, next, and this is appropriate the way you stood because Andrew is first. This is Andrew Challies, and um, he was the first of this extended family um, to start to attend here at Fellowship, and um, we got to know Andrew, and then Andrew invited some friends and family along with him. And um, so this is Andrew and his mother, Barbara, and then Grace Fry is Andrew's um, sister, Barbara's daughter, and then uh, Justin, Grace's husband, and uh, their girls, Cora, Eleanor, and Kate as well. And uh, so this extended um, Challies and Fry family, Andrew and Barbara Challies, and then the Fries. Uh, we're so grateful for them as they've, um, they've engaged. And like I said, Andrew was, was coming first, and then the others um, came along. And uh, Barbara and Andrew have been involved in prayer meeting, and it's been so fun to have them there. Um, the Fries have invested in multiple different areas in, in youth and kids. And I got to hang out with Justin a year ago on a camping trip, one of their first times at the church, and that was really, really fun. And he came back after that, which was good news. We, I mean, I, I went camping with Justin. I went to a baseball game with Chris and sat next to him the whole time, and they came back after that, which was surprising in different ways. But um, another great family that we, we just love um, having here, and we'd love for you guys to get to know them as well. And then um, last but not least over here, Joe and Patty Cook, um, and they have been with us, um, maybe, I think they joined first out of all of these, but as I said, in the youth room, we weren't making these introductions, and um, Joe and Patty are so wise and faithful, and they came to us as they, as they moved into the area, and they have such a strong foundation of knowing scripture and walking with Christ, and they have just jumped right into the community here, and I would love for you to get to know them, because they have a lot of a lot of wisdom and training to offer, um, and uh, they're just so pleasant and fun to, to hang out with and talk to, and um, they will be an encouragement to you. They're a great encouragement to me. And so let me, um, let me just invite you. Um, we've, got, we've got another song or two, um, but I'm going to ask them to sort of, after the service, hang out around here. I'm going to have them sit down as we do the last song. But after the service, you guys hang out kind of around front. And if you haven't met these families, please do. Okay, let's give them a hand. Thank you. I can sit down. Y'all go ahead. Now, I've, I've asked a few of actually our new members and some others to help me with the Samaritan offering. And so we're going to put some of our new members to work right away, actually, um, to help us in receiving the Samaritan offering this morning. And if you don't know what the Samaritan offering is, what we do here is we only take up an offering in service once a month. And that's what we call the Samaritan offering. So this offering that we're about to receive is not for the general ministry of the church. It is specifically for the, the Samaritan fund, which goes outside of the church to serve physical needs for people. So as they're passing it out down the line or down the aisles, let me pray for us as we receive it. Father, bless this offering. Bless the families that will be ministered to through this, through Richard Steele's ministry in the local jail, and also through the other ministries that we can touch and outreach to meet physical needs and present the gospel. Father, we praise you and thank you. And as you've given us much, so now we respond in giving to you. In Christ's name we pray. Oh, 
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Pierce, get in the shot. Okay. Um, that. That God? No. <laughs> Over. <laughs> Did you stop the video? <laughs> Did you